Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. dismiss our students this morning and our beach babies, beach kids and beach babies this morning. Amen. Appreciate uh, everyone for reading this morning. I want to read today uh, as they are being dismissed the Holy Gospel of our Lord um, given to us according to, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 verses 17 through 31 it says, now as Jesus was starting out on his way, someone ran up to him fell on his knees and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man said to him, Teacher, I have wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. And as Jesus looked at him, he felt love for him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell whatever you have and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But at this statement, the man looked sad and went away sorrowful for he was very rich. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astonished at these words, but again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and replied, this is impossible for mere humans, but not for God. All things are possible for God. Peter began to speak to him, look, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, there is no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive in this age a hundred times as much homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, all with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Amen. That's the gospel of our Lord. We give you praise, Lord, for your words. Hallelujah. Can we pray this prayer today as we often pray to kind of get our thoughts together and just to acknowledge, uh, hey, if you want to put up that colic for the day. God, we recognize that this is your church. So we ask that you keep us focused on you. May you guide us in all circumstances so that we can rightfully serve you to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I want to continue to talk today about the harvest and how the Lord of the harvest is wanting his people to see the true nature 
of what the harvest looks like and what it means for us. And so uh, as we think about this uh, concept of the Lord of the harvest, I want us to think about that for a moment. Uh, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about harvest, and we've been discussing uh, initially about uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and how that started the entire uh, uh, feast uh, and, and harvest time uh, in the fall feast. And so uh, there were three feasts that were considered harvest feasts, and so at the end of it, they would bring their, their harvest to the, to the temple, and they would do it as a sign of worship and ascribing worship to uh, the Lord. And so we've gone on to, to talk about uh, the importance of studying God's Word and how if we are to go into all the world and preach the gospel, we have to, to believe what the Lord says and understand it, right? Today I want to talk to you about seeking eternal foundations and understanding the language of the harvest Seeking eternal foundations. Many of us have understood harvest to mean seasons in our lives. Uh, this is certainly in our culture a time of harvest. And so, uh, we see that a lot uh, in, in, in different events and different things that are going on. But I want to try uh, in connecting the four passages that we've read today. I want to try to connect them to a theme that the Lord is trying to reveal to us. And I want to try to ask us some poignant questions to get us thinking so that as we get ready to, to leave today or as we come down to the table and break bread together that we are thinking about things appropriately. And so the first thing we see in Amos chapter 5 is the prophet speaking to Israel, right? He uses Joseph's family, right? Speaking of Ephraim and Manasseh, which represented the majority of the northern tribes of Israel. At this point, we know that Israel was split between the southern tribes, the southern kingdoms, and the northern kingdoms. And so the issues that abounded in this context was that the northern kingdoms had uh, forsaken the Lord as the one true God. And so one of the things that we want to see that God's trying to reveal to His people through the prophet that you and I have an opportunity to see today is the concept of sowing righteousness and reaping mercy. Sowing righteousness and reaping mercy. Now this is the antithesis of what we see happening in Amos chapter 5. We see God's people being unkind to one another, charging an un, un, unholy amount for things, not allowing people to, to question them. And there was, there was unrighteousness abounding. And so uh, the Lord through the prophet speaks pretty candidly to them, saying to them, uh, you've built homes. You're not going to live there. You've, you've planted vineyards. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to to yield the, 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 the harvest of that. And the reason why is because you haven't sown righteousness. You have sown unrighteousness. And so you're not going to reap mercy, my mercy. You're not going to reap the grace that I give you, the protection that I give you, the blessings that I give you. You're not going to get that. You're going to get what you have sown. You have sown unrighteousness. And so you're not going to get my mercy, my unmerited favor, right? My protection, my hand on you because you have chosen to sow unrighteousness. So what does the text tell us? Amos chapter 5, verse 6, it was read, the very first passage. It says, seek the Lord so you can live. <laughs> seek the Lord so that you can live. So that you can live. Otherwise... He will break out like fire against Joseph's family, right? The northern kingdoms. The fire will consume and no one will be able to quench it and save Bethel. Now that word seek comes from the Hebrew word darash. 
And we're going to take a few moments and break down that word and do, do some language studies this morning as we are working our way through these questions. But darash is an important word. Let's go to the next slide, Aiden. Darash is a verb at its core. It means to seek, inquire, or require. It conveys the idea of treating uh, or frequently, or treading or frequently, or frequenting a place, and by extension, to seek or ask. From a linguistic standpoint, it implies a diligent search or investigation, not just a casual surface level inquiry. You guys ever been uh, so frequent in your patronizing of a particular establishment that people often know your name when you walk in, or they recognize you, right? Um, when Celine and I were dating, we used to go to a particular restaurant all the time. It was a hole-in-the-wall, buffet-style uh, Mongolian barbecue. And we used to go there all the time. We would go there so often that they would know our names, they knew what drinks we would often get, uh, they knew what kind of soup we preferred in the beginning. And so they cut out all the pleasantries. They literally, when we would walk in, they would give us you know, our, our drinks, they put the soup down, uh, and they knew where we liked to sit. Uh, and it was, it was one of those things, right? And then we realized that we have spent a lot of time there. Um, and so many of us have those types of experiences, right? So when we think about uh, frequenting and treading uh, a kind of a tried and true pathway, uh, many of us understand that, right? We, we've all probably, uh, at least in some capacity, even for us who have had to access these uh, shows on YouTube or on uh, old streaming sites that don't have... Um, you know, rights or whatever, uh, like Cheers, the show Cheers, right? And I don't make anybody feel old, right? But Cheers, right? Was that like the 80s? My goodness, right? How'd you guys live back then? Um, but one of the things that would happen in Cheers is a show, right, where people would come to this like hole-in-the-wall joint, right? And the whole catchphrase of the show was, you want to go where everybody knows your name, bum, 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 and you're all, you know, you, know, you guys know the song, right? All of us uh, have probably some sort of way of understanding this idea of frequenting, right? But we want to go into a little more detail about the word darash. And so the next slide kind of shows us um, three areas in Scripture where this word is used uh, in its context, right? So the word is used in various contexts in the Old Testament. The first one is in seeking God, right? That's the most profound usage. It's what we see in Amos chapter 5, verse 6. Um, it's where God is exhorting the Israelites to seek the Lord. It's also in Isaiah 55, 6. And so what it suggests to us in the usage is an intentional pursuit of a relationship with God. An intentional pursuit. This is not proximity religion here. This is not, well, we are God's people, so it must be okay, right? This is an intentional pursuit of a relationship with God. That's what this word means in the idea of seeking God. But it also carries a, a legal inquiry, right? So the word is used in the context of legal matters, indicating a thorough investigation or judgment. We see that in Deuteronomy 17 and in Deuteronomy 19. Now thinking about this reality and thinking about this, have you ever been audited before or ever had uh, somebody look over your work? We love that, right? We love when somebody looks over our, what we do, right? Because it seems like the people that are invested with that kind of power and are tasked with that kind of job, they love it. They really get into uh, analyzing every little detail of life. And it seems like in many cases they, they hold your life in the palm of their hands. And they could just, by one stroke or one uh, notation, they could really uh, 
harm things, right? So that word is about investigation, right? It's a thorough nature. We often don't think that when somebody is going through legal proceedings that people are haphazard and go, eh, it's not a big deal. We'll just work out all the details later. You know what I mean? It's okay. That's, not, that's usually the opposite of what we think in legal matters. Oftentimes, legal documents are kicked back for something being spelled incorrectly. Or if, if you are wanting to present a document as a, a legal document of record, maybe you uh, misspell something or you, you put your name in a different way, people will kick it back because they say, well, this is not, if it's going to be a legal document, it needs to be correct. And so the thorough nature of a legal inquiry is, is, is an important component of this word seeking. But the Rosh is also about seeking knowledge or understanding. And so it's used to describe the act of seeking wisdom or understanding. And it's often from God or from Scripture, right? We see in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, uh, that iconic portion of Scripture where Ezra kind of gives us the uh, understanding of what it means to really be a student of the Bible, the student of the Word. To seek it, to, 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 to let it be a part of your life. To not just go through the motions. And so this idea to seek the Lord is important. And so the next slide shows us that the call to seek the Lord is a crucial an essential theme in biblical theology. It implies something to us. It implies that humans have a role in initiating a relationship with God. Now let's add some, some caveats to this, right? God is always the ultimate seeker and initiator in our lives, right? We see that in the Garden of Eden when He came to them and said, hey, where are you? He came to them, right? God is always the initial seeker and originator of our faith. But we have an opportunity to respond to that. How do we respond to that? That's when the Bible describes seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord. This intentional, investigative, thorough, devoted pursuit of a relationship with God. Now the whole of the Old Testament reveals to us that God was trying to reveal Himself to His people. It was His self-revelation to His people. And so every historical account, every writing, piece of history, piece of, of poetry, piece of wisdom was all inspired in a way and curated in a way so that God could reveal Himself to His people. What was the response to that? What should have been the response when God's people realized that He was the one true God? To seek Him. To pursue Him. To pursue a relationship with Him. And just like God's people in the Old Testament, I believe we are also given that same reality. And we know because the New Testament piggybacks on this word, darash. Let's go to the next slide. The Greek New Testament, um, even though it's written in a different language and a different culture, carries this theme of seeking, right? The Greek word zateo uh, captures a similar essence of seeking or desiring. Seen in passages like Matthew 7, 7. And we've, we've, you guys have heard messages where people have Use this passage, right? Where you ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you, right? There's a progression there. And, and many scholars and pastors have pointed out this progression, but it all comes from the same understanding that we see all throughout the Old Testament. That the proper response of God's people, when they realize and their eyes are open to see who He is, to know who He is, is to pursue and devote themselves to seeking Him. That's the natural response that we have to ask, to seek, to knock. And so the next slide shows us that it's not just about a casual search. It's not just about a casual search. 
We understand the difference, right, between casually searching and, and intently, thoroughly trying to find something. Oftentimes, uh, when we are intently trying to find something, uh, it is because we are on a deadline, right? Or we, there, there is an important document that we are trying to find. Or, you know, if you're trying to get ready and, and you can't find something that you wanted to wear, or you're missing something that was crucial to what you're trying, if you're making something and you're trying to find out the ingredients to it, you can't find them. You start scouring to try to find those things. Right? That pursuit is because we are wanting to get that. We find value in this. We need this. It's not just a casual association. It's not just, I know that God loves me, and He knows that I love Him. He knows that I'm doing my best, and I'm trying. So, uh, he, should, he, should, he should accept that. He's good with that. That's not the response that we see being championed by the prophets and throughout the New Testament for God's people, how they should respond to His grace. So I want to ask you a question this morning. The first of four questions. First question is, are we merely glancing at God's will? Or are we intentionally and diligently seeking Him in our lives? Is He just somebody that we come to when we are in trouble? Or do we just kind of have enough of Him in our lives to give us the feelings that we want to have? Are we just glancing? Going through the motions? Or are, are, is He the greatest desire of our lives? Is He the one that we are seeking the most? Are we inquiring of Him more than anything? Are we pursuing Him more than anything? Are we more passionate about Him than anything else? That's important, and that was a message God was trying to reveal to His people through the prophet Amos because they had gotten off track. They had devoted all this time to their vineyards and then their, their solid homes, and they weren't devoting themselves to Him. And He said, all right, those homes that you value, those vineyards that you treasure, you're not even going to be able to enjoy them. Seek Me so that you can live. Seek Me so that you can live. And it's not that God was getting ready to pour His judgment out. We oftentimes read that and think it's His judgment. It was really Him just giving them what they wanted. But He was warning them the entire time through the prophets and through uh, just Him revealing His unfailing, loyal love to them. Seek Me so that you can live. If you want to go after these other gods and live the way the other nations live and to let your desires for this world overwhelm you, then you're going to get the result of that. And the result of that is destruction. The result of that is decay. And why is that the case? Because life has seasons. Life has seasons. And so we want to look at life's seasons and God's eternity. You see, oftentimes in our world we think about uh, this reality. Let's go to the next slide, Aiden. Life's seasons and God's eternity. Life is full of seasons. Right now we're in fall. Uh, I don't think this is a false fall. I think we've actually made it to fall now. You know, we've gone through the false fall, right? Where it's like it was 60s and then it was 90s again. And we got our hopes up. We already put our summer clothes up and then it was 90 degrees again. I think we're actually in fall. But there will come a time where we will casually begin to experience winter, right? Right? Um, I was at Regent University uh, this week, and I saw 
already that they've started to put the icicle uh, lights in the trees around CBN. Um, and so they're starting to, to, to get ready, right? I even saw a meme where they're starting to dethaw Mariah Carey. Um, and so Christmas is going to be quickly upon us, right? Uh, we're, in, we're in a season right now where fall, uh, but at some point, uh, winter is coming, right? We know that winter is coming. Uh, and so that will be something that, that uh, we have to deal with, right? Uh, and our winters kind of uh, come and go from mildness to um, bitter cold. Uh, you wouldn't think so, but because of the humidity here, it gets, when it gets cold, it's cold here. Um, and so all that stuff reveals to us that uh, our weather patterns and uh, because of life, things change, right? Uh, but it's not just about weather patterns that change, but life changes, right? Many of us don't look like the way we look like when we were younger, right? If we put comparisons up, right? Uh, Selene and I just celebrated uh, 21 years of, of dating, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, give it up. It was 21 years of dating, right? Uh, Keith and Gail are celebrating their 29th uh, wedding anniversary today. Yeah, let's give it up for them. Yeah. Uh, so when we think about anniversaries and, and being together for a long time, you look back and so... Selena posted a picture of us at my 18th birthday, um, and then she posted a picture of us from like a couple weeks ago, uh, and you can see the difference. You know, we have grown in many ways uh, to love each other more uh, and to uh, just honor the Lord in that, right? So life changes and seasons change, but there's one thing that God is trying to reveal, not only through the prayer of Moses, but also through the words of the prophet in Amos, is that Life is short, seasons change, things happen, but God is always there. God is always there. And so in Psalm 90, verse 6, uh, Moses reveals this truth to us. He says, in, regards to, in regard to human life, as Tim read these words, he was reminding us about the, the short, transient nature of life. It says, in the morning it glistens, right? That's the word seats. Everyone say seats. Not like seats, but it's like T-S-I-T-S. It's like seats, right? Yeah. Exactly. That word used there for glistens uh, is the idea of uh, kind of the ephemeral beauty of life, right? So the next slide shows us that, right? That word seats captures the ephemeral beauty of life. You know what makes life great? Yes. But it also, it, Jesus makes life great because life is temporary. Right? Life is not always going to be the same every single day. Today, we'll never get again. That's why today's special. It's because it's a day that we will never have again. It's why our interactions with each other are special because they will never happen like that again. Now, we may have better interactions in the future. We may have worse interactions in the future. But today is a day that we can remember because it will never happen again. And it makes life special because you and I aren't guaranteed another minute on this earth. We're not guaranteed another moment. But it makes life precious and it makes life special. And so the psalmist is connecting to this by saying that uh, the, the ephemeral nature and beauty of life is much like a flower that blooms and then fades. Blooms and then fades. 
We look back and say, wow, where did, where did the time go? And so the next slide shows us that the psalmist describes human life as a transient idea like, like a grass that grows and then it withers. Right? It flourishes and then it goes away. So that word seeds is a sprout or a flower that blooms beautifully, but it's brief. You see it. And James talks about that, that our life is like a mist, a vapor, right? It's here one minute and gone the next. Paul encourages the believers in Corinth to not fix our eyes on the visible things. Those are temporary, but the, the eternal things are oftentimes the things we can't see. To focus our lives on, on what matters most, the eternal things. So this ephemeral nature contrasts with God's eternality. See, God is constant. He's always there. When we think about phrases like bear a sheet, right? In the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth. Or in John 1, where he references that same language, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A proper translation of that is not in the beginning all this started. It was in the beginning God was already there. In the beginning, God already existed. In the beginning, the Word was already there. God is constant. He is always there. But life shifts and changes and circumstances waver. That's why we can't put our hopes and dreams on the temporary things in life. We have to set our sights on the things that are eternal. The things that matter more. And so our fleeting existence we're encouraged to seek the eternal God's favor to establish the work of our hands. So I want you to think about the words of Moses today. He recognized that it was God who was going to deliver them. It was God who had delivered them. And it was God who was going to sustain them. Do you know the hero of the Bible is always God? The hero of the Old Testament is always God revealing Himself to His people. The hero of the New Testament is Jesus coming in the flesh. God in the flesh. The hero of the Bible is always God. The hero of the story of God's people is always God. You and I can never expect to be the heroes in our own story. If we are the heroes of anyone's story, then they're focusing on the wrong things. Now God will use us and can use us, and wants to use us to bless others. He blesses us so that we can bless others. But make no mistake about it, the prophet was trying to remind God's people in Amos, Moses, who had experienced such an incredible weight of leading God's people. He was the Gaul. He was the kinsman redeemer for God's people. Even he himself said, Lord, you're the one that does it. You are the one that provides. We are just like grass that grows in the morning and withers in the, in the evening. But you, God, are forever. You see, those words matter because as we think about that, life will present challenges that will change us, that will shape us, that will give us growth opportunities, that will at times potentially bring us to our knees. But in those moments... We have to fix our eyes on God because He is eternal and He will be there. So this next question I want you to think about this morning is as we embrace life's transient seasons, 
How are we ensuring that our deeds align with God's eternal purposes? Are our desires, are our wants, our dreams in line with God's eternal purposes? Life is full of transitions. And if we live our life for those moments, uh, our life will be a constant roller coaster. Because we will cling to things that we have, and then when they are gone, we will be hopeless. And we will have to cling to something else. And we will ride that, and we will hold on to that until we can't hold on to it any longer. And then we will be hopeless again. And then we will need to grab onto something else. You see, for the believer who has built their lives on the Lord, who is recognizing the eternal truths, even in those moments, they can say, blessed be the Lord. They can recognize that He is still the God who provides, the God who is present, the God who sees them. He is still with them in the fire. He is still with them through the storm. And even in those moments of trouble, we have an opportunity to respond to Him. So what do you do in crisis? Do you seek the Lord? Or do you turn to other things that maybe are visible that you can grab a hold of and cling to those? Fear causes us to do a lot of things that don't bring God glory. We saw that playing out in the life of the disciples, right? Peter, Lord, everyone will deny you, but not me. And Jesus said, Peter, you're the very one that's going to deny me. Peter tried to stop him from going through with the crucifixion. Jesus had to put him in his place. Peter was the one that, because of those moments, walked away that Jesus went to and came to him and wanted him to respond. He's gracious to him. He's gracious to us in those moments when we fall short of that. Because oftentimes, the ones that scream the loudest are the ones that are also prone to impetuous decisions. And so we got to be careful that we don't lose heart because the Bible's great in showing us characters like us. Right? We, can't, we shouldn't read the Bible and think that all these characters were perfect examples of what it meant to live for the Lord. In fact, they were actually the opposite. Again, the only hero of the Bible is, is God. Jesus is the only hero of the New Testament story. Everyone's fallen short of God's moral standard. All of us have missed the mark. And so, what are, our, what are our desires today? Are we seeking the Lord? Because if we seek Him, not just in a casual, glancing way, but if He becomes the source of our lives, it at times could draw us into some challenging truths. But this is what the writer to the Hebrews identified. That Christ was the first fruits of our faith. You see, Moses was pivotal to God's people. It's why he represented uh, the law, right? Elijah represents the prophets, right? The law and the prophets. These men were used mightily of God to speak and lead and guide His people. But the writer to the Hebrews identified that as important as Moses was, he was not as important as Jesus, the Son, the literal Son of God. So for him to come and for him to establish this truth and for him to lay down his life, he himself gave the greatest gift possible for us. He is the first fruits of our faith. Now, first fruits are important. 
We celebrate first fruits every Sunday, right? I mean, every, every the first Sunday of every month. We say we celebrate Jesus and we celebrate each other. We love Jesus. We love to eat. We have a great time celebrating. If we have baptism schedule, we do baptisms. We do baby dedications. We, we have a good time on the first Sunday of every month. We have a good time every Sunday. On first fruits, we dedicate those Sundays to celebrate Jesus and celebrate what God is doing in our lives. But in the Bible, the first fruits was in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it was on the third day they would bring the grain offering into the, the tabernacle and the temple, and they would count it for 49 days, right? They would count the Omer, and then on the, on the 50th, right, the, the Feast of Weeks, right, the Pentecost, Shavuot, they would, they would celebrate, right? And it was another feast that they would do. First fruits have always been a sign that you are giving your best. You are giving your best, right? The next slide tells us the concept of first fruits has its origins in the Hebrew term bikurim, right? Now, in the first service, we didn't have slides. So depending on which vernacular you heard me say that, I had to verify that I wasn't saying bikurim. I was saying bikurim, right? That's the concept of first fruits, right? It represents the earliest and best of one's produce. Now, by likening Jesus to our first fruit, we acknowledge him as the best and most promising of God's plans for humanity. See, the reason why we always end our readings with the gospel is because we want people to know that the best and most promising truth that you can ever hear today comes from the words of Christ. All of the Bible is inspired. It's all God-breathed. Whether it's expounding on the Old Testament or whether it's concealing truth that Jesus reveals in the New Testament. But the words of Christ, His truth, He Himself is the greatest gift that we have ever received. It's the greatest gift. So when you think about value, you think about wealth, we have to think about it appropriately today. The greatest value that we have, the best and most promising of God's plans for humanity, ensuring a harvest of hope and salvation come through Jesus. He's the greatest and most promising of all of the hopes of humanity. So let me ask you this question. <laughs> Do we offer our best to Christ? Recognizing His primacy and the promise He holds for our spiritual harvest. Do we offer our best to Christ? The talents that God has given us, the gifts that God has bestowed upon us, the resources God has given to us, the influence that God has given to us, the opportunities that God has provided for us, do we give Him our best? He gave us the best. The most profitable and most promising for human flourishing is Christ. We said it earlier, the best thing about this life is Jesus. Without Him, this life becomes real hopeless. Without Christ, Paul himself said, if Jesus didn't resurrect and there is no hope of the resurrection for us as believers, then I, among all people, ought to be pitied because I have devoted my life and bear the scars of defending the faith and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You see, there is a hope that comes with, uh, with, with connecting Jesus as our source. The greatest gift and the best and most promising thing that we could hold on to in this life is Jesus. If there's one gift that I could ever give to you as a people is to give you an opportunity to hear the message of Jesus so that God can get a hold of you and that you could seek Him, begin to live a life of devotion to Him. It's what I want for my children. It's what I want for my family. It's for them to love God. Not just to have an acknowledgement of Him. Not just to have a proximity faith. Well, my, my parents go to church. My, my grandparents went to church. My, my great aunt and uncle go to church. I think I'm probably okay. I mean, I know everything is in the Bible. But you yourself are not seeking God. It's not the same. It's not the same. I grew up in church. I grew up with a mom and a grandmother and aunts and uncles and cousins and, and family who were always in church. I understand the idea of thinking, well, I mean, I, yeah, I've always been in church. Yeah, but when did you start seeking God? When did you start pursuing a relationship with Him? Because that's what matters. It's not whether you grew up in church or not. It's when did, when did you start seeking God? When did God start revealing Himself to you in such a way that you started pursuing Him in your own life? I think it was... Um, oh man, can't think of his name now. It's a shame. Um, Keith Green. I knew it was going to come to me. I just had to look in Keith's eyes and then it, it grew back to me. Keith Green. He used to say... Um, he, he passed away. Um, he used to say, uh, going to church doesn't make you a believer any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Happy Meal. Right? Real deep. But he used to say that in the context of uh, it takes relationship, right? Now we gather and we assemble because that's what God says for us to do, right? And we know there's a devotion to that. There's a pattern that the people laid out in the book of Acts that they devoted themselves to the, to the apostles' teaching, right? To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. This wasn't a casual thing for them. It shouldn't be a casual thing for us, but don't let proximity be what uh, you think you are, are getting or holding on to. You need an active relationship with Jesus yourself. I'll never be able to get you into heaven. I can't do anything to get you guys into heaven. I could probably do some things to make it more difficult for you to see Jesus. And that's terrifying. But I'll never be able to, to open your eyes. Only God does that. He opens your eyes. And I pray today that He does. That He opens your eyes that you see Him. See Him in a greater way than you ever have before. Because that's really what true wealth is. When you think about wealth, it's about tending the soil of our hearts. The most valuable thing that God has given us is life. That's what the next slide tells us, right? That wealth is tending the soil of our hearts. What is God investing? What has God deposited? What has God planted into us? We know that He's given all of us the opportunity to image Him, right? That's what we were created to do. But as that image is tarnished and that as, as that image gets distorted, what do we do from there? Right? We need Christ in our lives to come and redeem us. 
And so Jesus has an encounter in Mark chapter 10 with this rich young ruler, right? The next slide tells us that. And he gives him imagery, right? This imagery here is about camel, right? Camelos. Now there is actually a word, camelos and camhos, right? Those are two words, camelos and camhos. Now camhos sounds like camels, but it's not. Camelos uh, is the word, Greek word for camel. And we see the word raphis meaning needle's eye, right? So most of the time when we read that passage that Jesus spoke of, he says it's harder for a rich person to get through the eye of a needle uh, or a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. We oftentimes read that and we have had many different opinions about it, right? People have preached children's messages where they, you try to see a camel shoving through uh, uh, the eye of a, a needle. There are some that have tried to articulate the, the framing of a small door on the outskirts of a city. Uh, where you'd have to position the camel in such a way, uh, if you were coming to a city after hours, uh, you'd have to get inside of that door, right? The problem with that translation is that those doors weren't really invented or established in cities until like the Middle Ages. So it's probably not what they were talking about here. There are some scholars that believe uh, that the word camelos is actually supposed to be camhos, which is uh, rope, right? So it's harder to get rope through the eye of a needle uh, than it is for... Uh, a rich person into the kingdom of God. The moral of the story is, because if you've ever tried to thread a needle, right? That's hard, isn't it? Not impossible, but it is hard. The whole idea of a camel getting through the eye of a, a needle, that seems impossible, right? So you're like, well, pff, rich people are doomed. <laughs> They're never going to go to heaven. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, and he's using the imagery here, whether it's rope or whether it's camel, whether it's a door or whether it's literally a needle trying to thread a needle. He's saying that in order for uh, you to do that, just like you would, right? What happens if you're trying to thread a needle? What do you guys want me to do? You, you, got, you, know, you, you twist it, right? You want to try to make it as pointy as possible so that you can thread that needle. If we are talking about a camel, if you look at the imagery of that, you have to take all the luggage off the camel, right? And you have to position that, that rascal in such a way like it's, he has to... You literally, like you got you to gotta put that dude in that little door, right? So either way you look at it, that's a difficult thing that requires uh, minimalistic uh, things, right? So the whole idea that Jesus is trying to share with, his, with, with, with this parable, right? Which many scholars believe is Barnabas, right? This rich young ruler is Barnabas. So we don't hear much about the rich young ruler anymore, but we do hear about Barnabas, we know that Barnabas used his influence, his money, his family to further the gospel. He was one of the first ones that accepted Paul and helped guide him through this journey. At that point, he was an older gentleman. And so, whether it was Barnabas or not, the idea that Jesus is revealing here in Mark 10 is that if you're going to get where God wants you to go to accomplish the work that He wants you to accomplish in the kingdom, you're going to have to let some things go in this life that you hold so dear. And you're going to have to be willing to go, Lord, I'm willing to let those go if it means it's going to take me to where you, you want me to go. And that's going to be hard, which is why it says it's easier for this to happen than that. But it's not impossible. Jesus wasn't telling him, well, you're never going to get to heaven unless you are broke and destitute. That's not what he was saying. He was saying... 
if you rely on this, it's, it could potentially keep you from getting where I want you to go. If these temporary things are what are so important to you, then the greatest gift that I've given you, I don't, I don't think you're going you're to view it that way. I've given you a chance to enter the kingdom of God. And you're not willing to do it because you won't let go of these things. And so we've got to be careful. This last question I want you to think about is this. Are we allowing the riches or, or the resources or the desires of the world to become cumbersome burdens for us? Or are we seeking God's help to navigate our spiritual journey with them? Again, if God has blessed you with talents, with gifts, with influence, with resources, our prayer should not be, well, Lord, you really want me to give all that up? I thought you, you get everything, everything good that I've gotten is from you. Our response needs to be, Lord, why have you given me this? And what is it that you would like me to do with it for your glory? How can I use these gifts, these talents? How can I take what you've invested in me? How can I take what you've deposited in me and use it for you as I navigate this journey? As I walk through this life, how do I do that? Are we allowing these things of the world to become cumbersome burdens, to weigh us down? Or are we praying and asking God to help us navigate? As we're walking through this spiritual journey, as we go through each new environment, each new moment of our lives, are we asking God to help us navigate through this spiritual journey? I'd like us to take a few moments before we finish up today. And I want us to think about and, and ask God uh, to forgive us maybe of some things that we've done or some thoughts we've had or some mindsets that we've had, some actions that we've taken that we shouldn't have taken or didn't take that we know we should have. You know, He's gracious to forgive us, but I think we need to be quick to humble ourselves before Him. Because all of us need to evaluate our lives and our hearts as to what are we doing with what God has given us. Right? Time is a value commodity. And people oftentimes will make a decision on whether or not they want to do things for God based on if they put it in a, in a scope of is it valuable for me to do this. And if you look at uh, church activity as an entertainment industry, then it'd be difficult sometimes for you to say, well, it's just not fun or this isn't really something that I get a lot out of. So I'm going to go do something that I can get more meaningful things out of. But if you understand living for the Lord and the disciplines that God has called us to live with the reality of us participating in the kingdom of God and recognizing that we are in covenant relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, then we won't seek after the things that appeal to our flesh. We will seek after the things that give Him the most glory. You don't see anything in the Bible where any, any culture or structure was set up in the church that they were trying to make it as comfortable and as easy and as appealing and as approachable and as enjoyable so that people would come. The council of Jerusalem didn't sit around and go, hey man, how are we going to make more people come to church? 
well, if we cut out this, and if we do this, and if we add this, and if we engage this way, more people will come. That wasn't even a question for them. It was Jesus, right? You preach the gospel. And God does the work. They had other things they were discussing. They knew God was going to take care of everything, but they were tasked with, how do we get this to work together? Right? So there's an understanding about blending together, but the purpose and the mission always stays the same. It's Jesus, right? And so let's take a few moments this morning and let's just think about what God is speaking to us today. Lord, we recognize today that there are times in our lives where we have missed the mark. Lord, there are times where we have sinned against You. We have not been who You've called us to be, Lord. We haven't thought what we needed to think. We haven't spoken or done what we know we should have done. But Lord, You have been gracious to us even in times when we have not loved You like we should. When we have not been loving to those around us like we should. And so Lord, we are truly sorry today. And we humbly repent today. Lord, we ask that You would continue to pour out Your grace in our lives. Lord, You have given us such an incredible gift and in Your great mercy, You continue to offer forgiveness to all those who come to You and ask for forgiveness with a sincere heart. And so Lord, I pray today that You would continue to secure, confirm, uphold God, redeem in our lives. Lord, help us today to continue to live lives that honor You and bring You glory today. We thank You, Lord, for this opportunity to worship You. Lord, may You continue to strengthen us in all goodness. Let's hear the Word of the Lord today. To all who truly turn to Him. He says, Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You're tired of carrying all the weight of the world on your shoulders. I'll give you rest. I'll put things in perspective. I'll put things in order. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so if anyone sins, if anyone falls short, we have an advocate with the Father. That's Jesus. The righteous. He is the propitiation of our sins. He's the mediator. He's the remedy. And not for ours only, but also for the whole nation, the whole world. He came in to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we can rejoice in that today. And we can be comforted today. And we can offer each other peace today. That if we proclaim faith in Jesus Christ, that this world and everything in it uh, may uh, give a lot of people hope. But our peace and our hope and our joy are not found in temporary things. They are found in the eternal truths of God. And that is what guides us and gives us the ability to have peace that surpasses understanding. And so can we take a few moments and just uh, greet one another today and offer, offer each other the gift of peace today as we continue to prepare our hearts for the Lord today.
Turn the right hand. Peace be with you. What would you say? Uh, see you over at MC Squared. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I get it. Change everything, man. Don't have any paper left to fix it. Oh, uh, well, you get another one, man. Get another one. You figured you figured it out, though. Oh, I thought you did. <laughs> that's that's a good start. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Lord, for everything in heaven and on earth is Yours. Everything You have given us, everything You have blessed us with is Yours, God. Yours is the kingdom, O oh Lord, and You are exalted as head above all. So we thank You today, Lord. All things come from You, Lord. And of your own have we given you, God. We have given you what you have given us, God. And Lord, it is right and it is our duty and our joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and to give you praise, God, in every area of our lives. And so we praise you, God, as we did joining all the angels and the heavenly host in heaven, proclaiming this hymn today. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. 
Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. You crafted us and gave us the privilege to be called your children. Even when we had sinned and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation to redeem us, to deliver us. And Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit through Mary, God, He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we thank You for that today, God. And in obedience to Your will, He stretched out His arms on the cross. And He offered Himself once for all so that we could have life. Suffering death on the cross for us so that we might be saved. And Lord, by His resurrection, we rejoice that He broke the bonds of death. Broke the bonds of hell and the grave. Trampling everything under His feet. And we thank You for that today. That in that simple, but courageous and deep and momentous occasion, Lord, that He was willing to do it for us, God. Something that we could never do for ourselves. He humbled Himself on the cross. And Lord, we thank You today for that. We thank You, Lord. This act of sacrifice that He made for us started as He was teaching His disciples and preparing their hearts for that final Passover that He was going to share with them. And on the night that He was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and He gave thanks to it by saying, Barukatai Adonai Eloheinu Malach HaOlam Hamotzi Lehem Min Haaretz Blessed are You, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. He gave thanks and He broke it. And He gave it to His disciples saying, Take, eat. This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Likewise, after supper, He took the cup and when He had given thanks, He said, Baruch atai Adonai, Eloheinu malach haolam, Borei Padre hagafen, Blessed are You, Lord God, Ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. He told His disciples, Drink this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many and for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of Me. It's why we proclaim the mystery of the faith <coughs> that Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. This table is an invitation for us. Remember that the work of the Lord is not finished. He is coming back. And that we are invited to come down to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we celebrate the memorial of our redemption, Lord, today. We celebrate it. In this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, we offer you these gifts. We pray that you would sanctify them for your people to be, through your Holy Spirit, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you'd also sanctify us also that we may worthily 
receive this holy mystery, this sacrament, this visible sign of an inward grace that as we are sustained by this bread and this wine, God, we are sustained by You. We are sustained by You. And so may we, may we be made one body today in You. May we dwell with Christ and He with us today. Hallelujah. Thank You, Lord. And now as Jesus taught us, can we be so bold as to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We rejoice today because Christ our Passover Lamb is sacrificed for us. Therefore, we keep the feast. Lord, we don't presume to come down to this Your table trusting in our own righteousness. Lord, we are not worthy to pick up the crumbs under Your table. But in Your great love and Your mercy, You have possible for us. And You invite us to come down here because it is Your character to show mercy, to show love, to show grace. And so Lord, may You grant us to continue to partake, Lord, so that we can continue, Lord, to walk in covenant relationship with You, to be made one in You and one with You today. Lord, we love You and we praise You and thank You today. Lamb of God, You take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us today. Lamb of God, You take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, You take away the sin of the world. Grant us Your peace today to walk in Your power and Your authority. My friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. May we take them in remembrance that Christ died for us. And may we feed on Him in our hearts with thanksgiving today. Hallelujah. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Hallelujah. Joseph, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. The blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God, speak to your people today in a greater way, Lord, and reveal your power today in and through us, God. Hallelujah. Would you come if you're able to? Let's partake together today.
Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, we're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that uh, brings glory to God. So thank you, guys. Take care.